have a question for you. What do you want to be when you grow up? Like, a, a question I want you to answer. What do you want to be when you grow up? Someone. A tiger. That was from Colin. That's a pretty good one. Tigers are cool. You want to be a millionaire. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got one more? Oh, I see. You want to be a doctor. That's awesome. When I was little, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And, uh, yep, for those of you who know me, I mean, I've been here a while. I've, I wanted to be a marine biologist. When my mom was little, she wanted to be a horse. <laughs> Yep, everyone has big dreams for their lives, and that usually revolves around um, our work and what we want to do. Uh, our society is very work-centric. Uh, think of how a conversation goes when you normally meet someone new. You exchange names, and then you usually say something along the lines of, what do you do? Or uh, if you're in school, it's, what grade are you in? Or where do you go to school? Work is what we do for X amount of hours per week, X days per month, and however, however months per year. Um, with a cup of ambition in her hand, this uh, famous singer released a song about work in uh, 1980. It got an Academy Award, four Grammy nominations, and it's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of your day. So uh, now we have Dolly Parton in 9 to 5. Yes, just, just the sound. And I stumbled to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping And folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five Yep, and there's so many other songs about work, too. Um, think uh, Working for the Weekend by Loverboy, Hardworking Man by Brooks and Dunn, or uh, Taking, Care of, Taking Care of Business by Bachman Turner Overdrive. Uh, however, most of them are about how much work wears us out. Um, why is it that even though we put so much value and identity in our work, we're still stressed out and trying to escape from it? Well, let's take care of business and see what Ecclesiastes says about our work and whether it's possible to find meaning in it. Before we get started, let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity you give us to gather here. I pray that you can use this time and, and your word to be glorifying to you, and that you can just reach everyone's hearts and draw us closer to you. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, so to get started, let's turn to Ecclesiastes 2, uh, 18 through 26. This is page 554 in your pew Bibles, your red pew Bibles, which are under your seats. All right. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master for all which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity, 
So I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toils of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This was also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and driving of his heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he is the, given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving after wind. Today, we're going to see three reasons why work doesn't work. First reason, work doesn't work because we worry about all that is left, uh, that is left being undone. Looking at verse 18, the author says that he hated his toil. And what he, he's not saying that he hated the act of working, but he's looking at what he's done. What has the writer done? He's looking at what he's accomplished over the years. This is probably some pride as he looks out over the city of Jerusalem and he sees all the storerooms he made, all the roads that he's paved and filled in potholes from all the frost heaves, except they didn't have those in Jerusalem. Uh, more commerce. But if this is Solomon we're talking about, um, the pinnacle of his achievements was probably building the temple. And this wasn't just any temple he built. This is the first physical temple building that Israel had. So it had the Ark of the Covenant in it, and uh, yeah, it, Solomon built it. Uh, he also built himself a, a big palace, and uh, all the, he did all the other roles that a king had. Um, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a big deal. And what he did, he looked at it, this sounds like a big deal, he looked at what he did, and he hated it. Why would someone hate all the great stuff that they've done? Because he's put his identity in his work, and he's tried to get value from doing great things. He's realized that eventually... He's going to have to give up the throne and his legacy to someone who didn't, uh, to his successor. You lose control over what you've done. Look at verse 19. Who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. The writer here is despairing over, uh, is despairing over his, his legacy and what's going to happen when the next guy takes over. Is he going to be responsible and follow his legacy, or is he just going to squander it? Uh, his successor might decide that his friends give better advice than his advisors and end up splitting his kingdom in two. And uh, fun fact, this is what actually happened um, when Solomon's son Rehoboam took over. Um, you can read the whole story in 1 Kings 12. Basically, when he was still king, Solomon had some people who were working in uh, forced labor for him to build all his, all his buildings and stuff. Um, once Solomon passed away and Rehoboam took over, uh, the, people, the people came to Rehoboam and uh, told him, Your father made our yoke heavy. Therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and this heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam said, eh, Give me three days and I'll think about it. And then he went to the old guys who stood with his dad for advice. Um, and they, they told him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them, and speak good to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. This is pretty good advice. 
Rehoboam thought so too. So he proceeded to completely ignore it and uh, follow his, uh, go ask his uh, friends that he grew up with for advice. So he went to his friends, and his friends were like, Hey, Brad, don't be such a sissy. Show him how much more tough and manly you are than your dad. Uh, instead of lightening their loads, he could be like friends or whatever, which sounds like really lame. Be even harder on him. Instead of using whips, you should use scorpions because that's like way cooler and tougher. And, and Rehoboam was far more impressed than the deep logic and eloquence of his bros. Um, so he decided to take their, take their advice rather than uh, the old fogies and their wisdom or whatever. So uh, <laughs> the, um, this is how the situation turned out. The king, Rehoboam, answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given to him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Seriously, having, having them as servants forever is way less cooler than throwing scorpions at them. So um, as it turns out, people don't like having scorpions thrown at them. So they were like, you know what? We don't like scorpions. You're kind of being a jerk. So see you. Bye. And the kingdom of Israel ended up splitting in two, and, uh, into Israel and Judah. Anyways, um, see how this ties back into Ecclesiastes. Verse 21 says, I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. Do you get the writer's despair here? Solomon's successor got all the fruits of his labors after he passed. He got his kingdom, his palace, his advisors, and a strong dose of power. Rehoboam didn't work hard for these things, but he, uh, he still got them, and he messed them up, and he just squandered them and broke the kingdom in two. What's the lesson for us? Well, we can not only see what happened to Solomon's kingdom after he passed it on, but uh, we get a nice takeaway. Um, for one, us young people shouldn't, should not be arrogant and think that we uh, know everything. We should take the ad advice from those wiser than us, even if it is less cool than scorpions. Second, um, how often do we think about how we'll be remembered? Uh, what will our legacy be? This isn't just for life either. Um, will you have left an impact on a job once you leave? Uh, will people be telling stories about how totally tubular you were in high school uh, once you graduate? What does Ecclesiastes tell us to those who worry about legacies? Uh, our answer is in the end of verse 21. This is also vanity and a great evil. When we forget about God and despair over what our legacy will be, that's vanity and a great evil. Notice the great evil part. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, what we've been going through, we've gotten vanity or vanity and a striving after wind, but this is the first time vanity and a great evil shows up. So why is it vanity and a great evil? It's because we're making idols out of ourselves. We're, we're thinking about our lives under the sun rather than our lives under the sun, as in S-O-N, Jesus. Um, we shouldn't worry about being remembered by people. Our lives are vapor. God, however, is eternal. In that case, how much more important is it to be remembered by God? I'm going to give the example of the thief on the cross. He was justly crucified with Jesus, and when you're crucified, you've done some pretty terrible, you've definitely done some pretty terrible things. Um, but look at how he's remembered across history. In uh, Luke 23, 39 through 43, uh, you don't have to turn there. Uh, this is what it says. 
One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence and condemnation? And we are indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What's this guy's legacy? He's remembered as the only person who Jesus directly told, as far as we know, that he was going to heaven, which <laughs> sounds pretty great to me. Uh, he's got a better legacy than the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and many, many kings. Uh, these are people who had it all. They made it to the top. They were well-respected and uh, had strong careers. But for this guy's work under the sun, he was a criminal. Don't worry about how you'll be remembered. It's vain. Worry about how you'll be remembered by God. The second reason why work doesn't work. Work doesn't work because we worry about all that we have to do. In verse 22, we see uh, the worry someone has in the work that they're currently doing. What has a man from, uh, from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. Ecclesiastes describes it so well. It's vexation. What, what does vexation mean? Vexation is the state of being annoyed, frustrated, or worried. How many of you have felt or currently feel vexed about what you have to do? Um, this isn't just work. It can, be, it can be homework. It can be college prep, chores, just dealing with life. Once you start thinking about it, your mind just races through everything you have to do. Ecclesiastes says this is vanity. Why is it vanity? It took me a while to understand it, but it helps if we look at Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. This is just a few pages um, on page 559 in your pew Bibles. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you will not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain and they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that. Whether, or whether both alike will be good. Yeah, you've got a lot of stuff on your plate, but it's not going to do you good to sit there and worry about it. It's, yeah, it's stuff that needs to be done. Maybe you've got vexation because there's a big pile of wood back home that needs to be split and stacked. And uh, you can't split it because you're here at church. Um, it's useless to worry about that right now. Uh, you're, gonna make your, you're just going to make yourself miserable. How many of us find ourselves making to-do lists while we're sitting and listening to Josh preach instead of actually listening to him, to him pre preach? <laughs> so uh, tying in verse 3, you may be, worry you may be worrying about wood, um, but uh, you could also get hit by a meteorite on your way back home and be unable to do wood and be incapacitated for a while. And this has actually happened to someone. A woman was actually hit by a meteorite in Alabama back in 1953. So you don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> so reason number three why work doesn't work. 
Work doesn't work because we worry if there's going to be any work left. My company, Bitware, was recently acquired by a much larger company, Molex, which is in turn owned by an even larger company, Coke Industries. Not Coca-Cola Coke, but Coke is in K-O-C-H, Coke Brothers. Um, the people at Bitware are worried about what's going to happen to us. So are there going to be layoffs? Will there be more benefits? Who knows? Um, there's a decent amount of vexation at Bitware. And I'd say pretty much all of us really like it there, and we're worried about what changes are going to happen. Ecclesiastes says this is vanity. Um, and here's why. Verse 2 of Ecclesiastes 11 says, uh, Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Yeah, maybe you don't know if you're going to have a job in a month, but you also don't know if you're going to be alive in a month. Verse 3, If a tree falls to the south or to the north, where it falls, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. What happens, happens. If I lose my job, I lose my job. And if I worry about it, I'm just gonna, it's just going to stress me out even more. Uh, nobody can know what's going to happen to them in the future. So all we can really do is just keep working hard and praise God that we still have jobs. So has any of this made you feel like just doing work in general is useless? Well, that's the perspective you'd have if you're just thinking about meaning under the sun and meaning in your work without God. In God, work can be joyful and fulfilling. God handmade this pale blue dot we call earth. He made the universe as incomprehensibly massive as it is, and he's still bigger. He handcrafted us specks in his own image. And now here's the best part. He sent his son to die for us because he loves us. Why would, you, why would he even remember such insignificant little specks like us? Because he's faithful. The Psalms 119.90, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established all the earth. It stands fast. God has been faithful to humanity since the beginning. We stress and worry about our toil. Am I going to lose my job? Am I, I going to pass this test? There's so much I have to do. It's so little time. How am I going to get it done? This is why I realized why it's vanity to have vexation over our work. It's because God's faithful. Turn with me to Matthew 6, uh, 26 through 34. This is page 811 in your uh, pew Bibles. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closes, clothes the grass of the fields, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he, not will he not much more clothe you, clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, we should not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." 
Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 26 fits into this really well. So uh, I should have told you to save your place, but flip back to, uh, if you want to flip back to Ecclesiastes 2, 24 uh, through 26. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he is given the business of uh, gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after wind. If we put our identity in our work, apart from God, we'll never truly be satisfied. We'll be anxious, and we'll be gathering and collecting like ants. And apart from God, your work really isn't much more significant than that. Um, But if we put our identity in God, and we rely on His faithfulness, then you'll be able to find so much more joy in what you do. God is faithful, and He provides. He provides better than Solomon could for himself. Matthew 6, 28-29 again. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And remember what we talked about with Solomon before. He did a lot of great things, and God's faithfulness in his provision is even better than what Solomon can do for himself. These past couple weeks, I've, to, to be transparent, I've been pretty stressed out between working full-time, taking classes, writing a sermon, just trying to help out around home and uh, leading a Bible study. It's, um, I've been feeling a lot of vexation. And once I found the application to this, it really helped me out so much. I've had so much more joy. And yeah, I still, I still am stressed out about what I have to do, but I have a lot less vexation. Um, God, God is faithful, and um, I'm grateful that he gave me an awesome job, he gave me the ability to take classes, and he gave me the privilege to preach his word. Um, I'm putting my identity in him and trusting in his faithfulness, and he's going to give me the strength I need to get what I need to get done. And um, he, uh, and you know what, he can give you the strength and joy to get what you need done too, because he's got a lot to spare, because he's infinite. You can leave behind your, your vexation and find meaning in your work because, if you're doing it for him, because you're doing it for him. When work doesn't work, you just need to realize the vanity of it and put your vexation behind you by putting your identity in, uh, in God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you for this time. Um, I pray that you're, you're with these people as, you go out throughout the, as they go out throughout the week. I pray that, that um, you can use them to glorify you, and I pray that, that you can just um, sh- shine your light through them. In your name I pray, amen.